Find the answers to questions you may or may not have asked yourself here at Kaleidoscience, Conversations on Cognitive Science, hosted by Elisa Palmer and Sönke Löw. We were at a special event, which was the Coxie Space Day. There we had the chance to talk to a great variety of different people and talk about their fields of interest. May they be students or professors. We talked about various aspects of cognitive science, such as neuroscience, linguistics, philosophy or artificial intelligence, and many more. All the interviews were kept rather short, and another exception of our bonus episodes will be that not only Zünke and me are hosting, but also our two amazing producers Alina and Sophie, and both will jump into this role of being an interviewer. So stay curious and tune in. We are here with Sebastian Muslik. He is a lecturer um, for computational neuroscience at the Institute for Computer Science in Osnabrück. Um, so thank you for being here and for joining us for this interview. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, as a first question, we want you to complete a sentence. As a kid, I always wanted to be. A pilot. Just for, because you want to fly or? I uh, was always fascinated with flying. I already had a, uh, a pilot license for paragliding and oh. I did some acrobatics. And I wanted to become a jet pilot. Um, but then it turned out my vision wasn't good enough. Oh. And so I had to change trajectories. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, change trajectories is a good point because now you're doing um, cognitive science research or computational neuroscience completely. Um, how would you explain your research to someone or your field of interest to someone um, if they were 10 years old? <laughs> um, I would say that I would like to understand what's going on in your head and why you're doing the things you're doing, that's, basically. Yeah. That's, that's a good explanation. Do you want to take over? Okay, uh, and the next question would be, um, how, did you, um, how did you start in that direction? And uh, maybe how did you get to where you are? Did you, after you realized that you can be a pilot, <laughs> did you immediately thought that might also be interesting or um, is there more of a story behind that? It's, it's been a very uh, long story actually. I've been uh, mostly interested in computer science and math and um, when I was in high school I did a, a sort of a longer thesis with a university on cryptography and it, that was super dry and you know very mathy and, and I was quite dissatisfied with it and so I decided to study something else, something of humans. And I originally wanted to go into medicine, but then I found that the brain is more interesting than the liver. So I really last minute decided to study psychology. On the first lecture in psychology, I realized that uh, while most of psychology completely neglects the brain, and the theories are also not very precise as in math and in computer science, so I was dissatisfied again. And then I somehow weaseled my way into, uh, into neuroscience later on, and computational neuroscience, where I started becoming more and more happy and then uh, also you know, dipped my feet into artificial intelligence a little bit. Yeah, I already thought uh, when you had your explanation of you want to understand what's going on in people's head, then I already thought like maybe that also holds for psychology, but it really doesn't somehow because like the, the neurological aspect of it is uh, probably missing. Exactly. That was something that was uh, completely missing for me. That's the neglect of the, you know, the actual underlying hardware, what, what's going on uh, that gives rise to the mind. I mean, there's more to it, and I found it always exciting to constrain the ideas about how the mind works based on biological properties. Fascinating. <laughs> also, very um, kind of feels like a very typical Coxie 
way of going because most of them find something interesting and then they go somewhere else and then they combine everything and then they end up here, which is really lovely. I um, just see so many people with a very diverse and kind of chaotic background. But in the end, they always do really interesting stuff. In fact, I, I didn't know what cognitive science was until mid of my PhD. And um, if, if I would have known that I could have studied cognitive science in Osnabrück, for example, I would have done it immediately. I, there, there would have been no doubt. But I just, I was, you know, I was, I didn't know anything. I, you know, I thought psychology was the closest and fastest I could get towards understanding the mind and the brain. And so I took that route. And only later on, I realized that there are things like cognitive science that exist and people really care about integrating the mind, the brain, and potentially some ideas from artificial intelligence into understanding cognition. And um, yeah. So it's been a long journey, but eventually I learned that cognitive science is the place to be. <laughs> And now you are here. That's amazing. Um, what are some recent like breakthrough discoveries in your field of interest? Well, um, in my field of interest, very recent, it's, it's not been very recent, but I, I always highlight this example because it's, I think it's one of the most remarkable uh, discoveries in, in the field of computational neuroscience. Um, starting from the story of a physiologist who recorded um, neurons from a monkey brain. And what they did is they let the monkey, they gave the monkey some reward and they asked what happens to those neurons. If they fire, they recorded from some neurons in the middle of the brain. And these, these neurons so happen to transmit something what's called dopamine. That's a, that's a communicator in the brain that signals between cells. And um, what they did in this experiment, which was quite interesting, is that they gave the monkey a clue about whether a reward would occur or not. And so the monkey could learn, potentially, if they get that cue, let's say a light, that a couple seconds later they would get a reward. And what they found was that these neurons, they were really, really active whenever some, something unexpected happens. That is, either if the reward would occur on its own, or if the clue would occur out of nothing, predicting the reward. And um, they found a couple other things, but the point is that the physiologists then, then showed this data from the recordings to, to a machine learning scientist. You know, it had nothing to do with neurophysiology. And that machine learning scientist said, well, that's, that's temporal difference learning from reinforcement learning. That's exactly the prediction error signal. That's a temporal difference error prediction signal. And then they wrote a paper that was published in Science. The people involved were uh, Wolfram Schulz, who did the neurophysiology, person realizing it was temporal difference learning was, was Peter Dayan and also involved was Reed Montague uh, back then and, and, and I think at UCL and, 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 uh, and Cambridge. And uh, that became sort of the, the big breakthrough, uh, you know, some, something that happened completely independent in machine learning happened to inform one of the theories about how the brain works and what actually mechanisms in the brain are doing. That to me is one of the most remarkable uh, moments in, in, the, in the history of computational neuroscience. That is, sounds fascinating. Um, can you maybe shortly explain what temporal difference learning means and what it's used for? Yeah. So temporal difference learning is something that has been developed from reinforcement learning and artificial intelligence. And it's uh, mostly to basically learn uh, about temporal contingencies and predictions. So let's say if, um, if I'm going to knock on the table, um, nothing might happen. But let's say I knock on the table, and every time I knock on the table, I say something stupid. Then eventually you will learn that this knocking on the table will predict that I say something stupid. And there, there is a mechanism for it, and this is temporal difference learning. What you're, what you're taking is the temporal difference between what you, uh, what you actually get in the future, saying something stupid, 
and what you, you know, what happens, what you predict based on what I'm doing currently knocking on a table. And this is what, what is used basically for making predictions about the world. Okay, yeah. Uh, maybe just one other um, yeah, scientific term you already used is uh, reinforcement learning. Um, and maybe you have also a very simple explanation for that. Yeah, reinforcement learning, there are two terms in reinforcement learning. One of them is learning, right? It's about, it's about acquiring knowledge, uh, being able to you know, predict the world better. And the other term is reinforcement. And reinforcement is a term that actually came from psychology, from operant conditioning. So in operant conditioning, you, for instance, if you want to train your dog to, to do a trick by rewarding them uh, to do certain things, that's called shaping. And the reward that you give them, let's say you know, something edible or something to eat, that is called a reinforcer. And that reinforcer can change behavior in a sense that it can reinforce the behavior that you want or it can reduce the behavior that you don't want, depending on whether you give the, the dog a punishment, uh, a reward or a punishment. And so reinforcement basically means that you learn by these kind of reinforcers, by singular rewards or punishment that you receive in the world. Okay, thank you. Um, then we come to our final prepared question. Um, which scientist do you want to have a tea with or chat with? Is there anyone you think like they're really um, significant in your field that you would think they are interesting to talk to? I would have loved to have a chat with uh, Jürgen Schmidhuber. Uh, Jürgen Schmidhuber is, a, is a, an AI scientist who was, uh, became very popular for his, um, for his uh, you know, work on, on, um, on recurrent neural networks and long short-term memories called LSTMs, which is a mechanism for, for learning, again, temporal contingencies in neural networks. And, and Jürgen Schmidhuber has done lots of very interesting work that, that has informed a lot of ideas in cognitive neuroscience and psychology, for instance, on creativity and the role of, of boredom in, in, in driving interesting behavior, seeking information and curiosity. What is the value of, of employing an artificial agent with uh, curiosity? What, what, what might that give you? And, and these ideas that, that you know, Jürgen has worked on, they happen to recore once in a while in psychology and cognitive neuroscience. And so I'd be very excited uh, you know, to talk to him uh, about these things. Nice. Um, yeah, and I think um, that was it for, for our interview. Thank you very much for being here and sharing your very interesting field. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. When you enjoy listening to us, the best way to support us is by following us on your chosen podcast app. This could either be Google Podcast, Spotify, or Apple Podcast. Another good way to support us is by following our Instagram account, which is called kaleidoscience underscore pod. On our Instagram account, you will also get regular information on the next episode. Thanks a lot for supporting us. This was Kaleidoscience, hosted by Elisa Palme and Sönke Löw. Produced by Elina Ohnesorge, Elisa Palmer, Sönke Löw and Sophie Kühne. Produced in collaboration with the Cognitive Science Student Journal. The music was produced by Jan-Luca Schröder. The logo was designed by Annika Richter. Thank you for listening and joining us on our journey through conversations on cognitive science.